It's like going up against a chess program, you know, when you've got the computer set at master level. You're like, uh, he's trained under Dooku. He's mimicking everything Dooku does. Like, we are really hosed. Hello, fellow geeks. This is Jay Shear, host of the Story Geeks podcast and co-founder of the Reclamation Society. You are part of a small but powerful group of people we call Story Geeks fans of science fiction, fantasy, and comic books who love to dig deeper into geek stories to see how they impact us and the culture around us. These aren't just stories that help us escape. These stories shape our world. How? That's what we're discussing today. Thank you for joining us, and please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future Story Geeks conversations. On today's episode, we're diving into Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and closing out George Lucas's prequel trilogy. Joining me on the show today is my co-founder, Nathan Sheck, and also Seth Fontaine, one of the co-founders of Urban Vinyl, the premium headphone company that is a sponsor of this show, and Seth is a huge geek, so we're glad he's partnering with us in this. Also, super special guest, Mark Herleman, one of the founders of the Star Wars Report, also a host on that show, and the host of Star Wars Beyond the Films. I like to call him the legend of legends because he knows that stuff more than anyone else that I have ever talked to. If you haven't seen Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, we are going to start the podcast with a spoiler-free review, and then we'll give a spoiler warning before we dive into the deeper questions. As with all the shows in our Star Wars series thus far, we have so much to say about Revenge of the Sith that we've divided this episode into two different podcasts. Let's dive into part one. All right, well, welcome Seth and Mark. It's great to have you guys. How's it going? Thank you for having us. Of course. Yeah, it's good to be on the show. Yeah, should be a fun time. So we're going to start with our spoiler-free review. Um, and then we'll jump into the spoilers later on. I'll give the warning. So the first question that we have is, in, the, in regards to the Star Wars films, where does this one rank in your rank ordering of the Star Wars films? And I'm going to start with you on this one, Mark. Uh, it's just, this one's always difficult to answer because, in a way, it's always evolving. I mean, especially now in an era where Disney owns the Star Wars films. Mm. Um, I would have to say right at this moment... I would say Revenge of the Sith is my fourth favorite, uh, which which is weird because like for a long time it was tied with uh, Empire Strikes Back for number one. But first and foremost, I'm a huge Legends fan, so you know I've got to I got to keep that in consideration here. So you got Rogue One, I go then The Force Awakens, then Empire with Revenge of the Sith coming in after that. Uh, and I think for me, the the real draw or loss was with Legends being separated because Matthew Stover's novelization did so much for that movie that, you know, you watch that film after reading that book and everything Padme-wise that was dropped from the film, you have that information. So mm-hmm. when you're watching those characters interact, there's just so much more depth that you have thanks mm-hmm. to Stover. Uh, me and Nathan, we call it the Stoverization. And, <laughs> you know, I mean... Alexander Freed has done similar to that with Rogue One and the novelization he's done there, but that is probably one of the biggest losses of Legends being its own alternative universe because it's like, well, the novelizations are canon so far as they line up. Well, it's like, well, Stover's book brings so much more that it doesn't really line up that much. So I have a hard time with that. So I'm constantly like reevaluating. And even with The Force Awakens, there is so much detail that's still left in mystery that as those mysteries come to light... I may decide it's not as high up on the list as I thought it was. 
Oh, totally. It's, it's, it's an ever-evolving thing. So why don't you really quick run through your entire list? Like, where do you rank order each one? So, like I said, I, right now Rogue One's definitely my first. Uh, I'm looking at Rogue One kind of like the Deadpool of the Marvel films. Like, it had everything without needing all the other good stuff. Mm. So I really enjoyed the fact that it's a standalone Star Wars film. Uh, the Force Awakens, it's my second one at the moment. Uh, I really I, I enjoyed all the Star Wars trappings. You know, uh, Star Wars is always kind of taken from other great movies, and that was the first Star Wars movie that really used Star Wars itself as its inspiration. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, Empire Strikes Back has always been that dark ending, the fight club of Star Wars movies, if you will, the only movie where the bad guys feel like they've won when it's all over and said and done. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, of course, you know, it's my fourth favorite. It, it was tied for so long. Uh, it, it just delivers so much action and so much heartache. Uh, I think mm. that the heartache aspect of it, when we see Nightfall and from that point on, like, just it just tears me up, even when I watch it to this day. Uh, from there, it's a little harder. I mean, you know, A New Hope's got a special spot for me. I would say it's probably my next one. I like the fact that there are moments where the suspense really builds up and there's no music playing, like when they're in the uh, the trash compactor with the Daiga. You're just like, oh, my God, dude, there's nothing <laughs> playing. And you're just like, the suspense is just choking you. I, there's something about that and the, the, the mysticism of it all. The first time you watch Star Wars, it's usually that's the movie that everyone comes into. And so that one's always got a special place. And when I think about, you know, Return of the Jedi, there are, I think it's the, the beginning on that one that's slow for me. So for me, with most Star Wars films and every book and comic, it's like they all have highs and lows. So it's really hard to rank any one of them because there are aspects of every one of them that I just don't like. And for me, right. the Jabba scenes at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, that's always, I always skip it. I just, I'd rather just get right <laughs> past that. You know, there's something about it just doesn't work for me. And I think adding the Jabba flow and stuff, like, I'm just like, eh, still, mm. it still doesn't work. Mm. Uh, but it, it's definitely my next one in the list. And then I would have to say The Phantom Menace followed by Attack of the Clones. Um, I think with Attack of the Clones, I think it's, again, it gets back to my perceptions. That's something I talk about on Beyond the Films and Star Wars Report a lot, is the misconceptions and perceptions will always hose you over. And when I went into that one, I had so many preconceived notions of what the Clone Wars should have been. Uh, I truly believe that the Clone Wars was going to be a Jedi Kenobi fighting a clone Kenobi. Like, I thought that it was going to be Jedi fighting mm. Jedi clones, that kind mm. of stuff. So it was really hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that they were clones of Jango Fett. Of course, you know, Karen Travis, she was able to make me get over that real quickly and stuff. But film-wise, when I'm just looking at canon only, it, it, it falls on the wayside. So I'd say Attack of the Clones is definitely my least favorite of them all. The romance is a little campy at times. And it's just, I think I get back to the aspect of when I watch The Phantom Menace, the age difference between those two is so different that when I get to Attack of the Clones, I feel like Padme is being a little pedophilish. <laughs> You're right, exactly. <laughs> um, excellent. That's a great breakdown. Uh, what about you, Seth? Where does this film, Revenge of the Sith, where does this fit? And then what's your rank order overall? Um, okay, so I haven't watched the original trilogy in a long time. So that's my, my decision might be a little biased or not biased, but... Um, not the best one. I'll have to go watch those again. Yeah. But including Rogue One, this one ranks, I think, fifth overall. Okay. Um, so my, my number one is episode six, and then it's episode five, episode four. Kind of goes backwards okay. almost. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I'd have to watch Rogue One again, too, because that's arguably like my favorite one now. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was so well done. But So let's say Rogue One and episode six are like tied for first. Tied for first. Then uh, Empire Strikes Back, okay. then A New Hope, but okay. they're all like neck and neck. Okay. Um, then you jump down a couple points, and it goes to Revenge of the Sith, and then you jump down a couple more points, it goes to Phantom Menace, 
than Attack of the Clones, and my hated one is The Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for that is because I'm a huge Legends fan as well, and there was just so much great content after, um, after you know, The Return of the Jedi, and Disney just kind of took all that and threw it all away. And so I'm still very bitter about all that. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel like Episode 7 was just a knockoff of Episode 4. Um, there was nothing really new about it. It was just kind of the same story, same storyline uh, replayed because Disney wanted to be safe rather than explore new territories. So, Fair um, enough, fair enough. Nathan, where does it rank in your order? Yeah, I still haven't quite decided. Uh, <laughs> mainly, mainly because the, the newer movies are still kind of in their own category. So taking those out for now, especially since I, I need to actually see Rogue One again, I feel like it's probably right around Jedi, you know, so probably Empire, New Hope, and then Sith and Jedi kind of right around each other. But yeah, as, as for Rogue One and Force Awakens, I, they're, they're new enough that I'm not quite sure where I'd put them yet. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um, I have it at number, I have Revenge of the Sith at number six. And I've already expressed how, what my rank order is at this <laughs> point. So for me, that's a, I think it's, I was very surprised on this viewing because I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would actually. Um, in fact, uh, I captured a lot of things that I'm like, wow, that's actually really powerful. Um, and we'll get into why that is in the next few questions, but I enjoyed it a lot more this time around. Um, so going back to you, Nathan, now we're going to go into our 1 to 10 rating systems, starting with quality. What is your quality rating for Revenge of the Sith? I went with 9. Because, um, yeah, this one, especially compared with the, the other prequels, it's, you know, it's, it feels a lot more artistic and operatic. Um, a lot fewer places where it feels like there's just kind of some action sequence filler or or comedic sections um it it felt like it it actually was getting to the point most of the time um not as much awkward dialogue john williams was great as usual (laughs) um and I know you you might not like this, but I think the the duel was better than the one in Phantom Menace. So. Mm. Oh, con- controversy! <laughs> I actually might think that too. Oh, you guys are gonna team up again. <laughs> I, I hate to yeah, I hate to jump on the bandwagon, but I mean, <laughs> you watch that special where it's like they did it for real. You're like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. What about you, Seth? So compared to other Star Wars movies, I'd, I'd give it a six. Um, but as a standalone movie, if you just watch this one, I'd give it a seven. Okay. Um, and the reason for that is there's it doesn't go as in depth as the other movies do. You have to read like the books or you know watch the Clone Wars series to really get the full grasp of it. Um, whereas the other movies standalone, you know, you can understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, Mark, where are you at quality uh, rating? Snap, Sneth just blew my mind. I didn't think about comparing it to the other films. I'm like, oh, because <laughs> see, I I went with an eight. But I was thinking, and, and I guess this also goes in the aspect of story, that you know this was the culmination of everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about that actually playing against it. Like, as a standalone film, he's right. That would kind of hurt it. Um, but I, I didn't think about it like that. I was thinking, eight, uh, you know, for me, the lack of the Padme stuff, the, the Senate, uh, the delegates of the 200, all of what they were trying to do against Palpatine and the, the 
pseudo-romance between Kenobi and Padme. And I say pseudo because it was mostly in Anakin's head. Like, there wasn't really anything mm. going on, but he was just like, why are you guys meeting? What's going on? Like, <laughs> right. that was all cut and left out, and I really felt mm. like what was in the story was so good that if those scenes were added, it would have made it so much better. Yeah. Like, mm. when we get to the moment where Anakin is choking Padme, there might have been a little more of, like, you've been cheating behind my back kind of feel to it, whereas, you know, you're looking at it, you're like, Anakin, you need to calm down, man. Like, take some Ritalin or something. Like, holy cow. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with a strong eight. Okay, that, that's cool. I'm actually at an eight and a half, nine. So I'm right in that range. And and, but, and for context, because you guys, only Nathan was on the previous con- the two uh, podcasts. I was at like a four, um, <laughs> like 4.75 for the last two. Um, but this one, this one uh, really surprised me. The opening sequence is amazing. The camera is sweeping through like all the different ships. Um, in one uh, movement too. Yeah, awesome. well, they, they even have a little movement, comment yeah. where they got we've got everything, including the kitchen sink. Like there's a firing fireball <laughs> with the kitchen sink going across. Like oh my god, <laughs> that's awesome. And I think I mean technologically the film is a masterpiece because it still holds up. I watched it and I'm like like where, whereas. Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones have a couple effects that you're like, wow, that doesn't look great. And I'm not saying this is perfect. There's a couple of uh, CG characters that their movement doesn't look quite right. But still, from a technological standpoint, it's fantastic. The planetscapes throughout the film mm-hmm. are amazing. The only thing that bugs me about this film, and it's a carryover from the other two films, the only thing that takes a point off, uh, maybe a point and a half, is that I still cannot stand the droid voices. Uh, <laughs> it just bugs the hell out of me because they're non-threatening. <laughs> I'm like, why are you guys scared of this droid army? They're just a bunch of kids. Like, it's just ridiculous, right? So, But there's um, a lot of them. But there are a lot of them. But no, you're onto something. I mean, if you imagine taking those voices and swapping them out with Cylon voices, that would be a creepier army. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> um and I think too, like the the only other thing I might like, you know, I might take off like a quarter point for this, or like a half point, not a, not a big deal. But is I still think that the force and the way that the force is explained and how the force is interacting with people and not people is I kind of like the fact that it's still mysterious and you're not having to explain it. But as they add more and more explanation, I'm like I understand less and less of how this works <laughs> the more you explain it. Amen. Um, so uh, I just, I would just put that out there. So with that, um, we all said pretty high rating. Seth, you were the lowest rating, but overall, everybody likes this film. Mm-hmm. Um, from a story depth standpoint, so obviously we see movies that are out there like The Avengers, and it's like pure bubblegum. Like there's not that much going on in yeah. terms of depth. And then we have other stories, especially geek stories like The Dark Knight, where it's super deep, right? So from a story depth standpoint, how does it dive into spiritual, emotional relationships, government? Starting with you, Seth, scale of 1 to 10, what would you give it for story depth? Oh, man. Okay, so looking at, again, this film just by itself, or even with the prequels, um, I gave it a pretty rough rating. I gave it a 4. Ooh, okay. But, um, and that's because, like, you know, the first time when I was watching it, I was a kid, and I didn't understand anything that was going on. Ah. Mm -hmm. And even now, like, if I don't know what I know about Star Wars, I would still not really know what was going on. Like, why Anakin is choking Padme when he loves her, and all this stuff. Good point. But then reading the novels, going into the Clone Wars, and doing all the extra research, uh, there is really a lot of depth hidden there that was really, like Mark has been saying, it just got cut out. Mm. And when you know all that depth and you know all the backstory and everything, I'd give it more of an 8 or a 9. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's a good rating. How about you, Mark? 
See, and, and <clears> I'm <throat> I went seven. And I'm kind of like, and like Seth opened my eyes, like, I feel like I should lower it to a six. <laughs> I mean, for me, like, you know, when you get to the nightfall scene, you get to, you are my brother, Radican. You know, I mean, those were so emotionally charged. They really mm. raised the score. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you think about the fact that this is the culmination of the prequels. And, you know, we've been building for this. So, to a, to a sense, there's this satisfaction of the story having that closure that really pushes you closer to an eight or so but then you've got that lack of the story because it's building off of everything else and the fact that it was relying so hard on Stover's book and stuff so that really it plays mm -hmm. against it I mean you think about all the Padme stuff I mean if you just take that one aspect and put that back in there it would do so much more for the yep. story and I think that that's why I can't give it a high <clears throat> ranking like I would love to give it uh, you know I mean I think for most fans this is the one movie that we've all been wanting to know the most about how did Anakin fall and it does answer that it's just that the answer isn't as deep as we had hoped and I think that that's mm -hmm. where it suffers mm. interesting so what about you Nathan I went with seven or eight for roughly the same reasons okay <laughs> you know it's, it's so fascinating because uh, I've read a lot of Star Wars novels I'm a big Star Wars geek it is my favorite universe of all the different geek universes mm -hmm. um, however I have not read read the Stover book and I haven't read a lot of the prequel era stuff I actually mm -hmm. really love the Old Republic stuff yeah. um, and I've read some of the stuff that was now considered no longer canon right yeah. um, oh man you need to go and read the Stover book just, I, just that's what it sounds blow like. your mind yeah that's, <laughs> what it, that's what it totally sounds like because um, because I gave this a nine not having the context that you guys have mm. and actually there's some questions later on that we'll discuss that where i complain about it like the like the like you've already brought it up but when um and this is somewhat of a spoiler alert but when uh he gets after padme it's like what in the world dude like yeah. th your entire motivation for doing all of these things is for her but why would you make this choice right now exactly but see i didn't have any context to what you guys are talking about to know that that was a part of it so i definitely need to step out there and, and check that out but I will say that this is by far the most emotionally compelling prequel film. Yeah. It actually covers a lot of spiritual death, depth and implications of spirituality because, it, because Anakin is actually wrestling with that the entire time through the film. And I'll even throw this out there to Mr. Lucas, and he's dinged a lot on this, but politically this has some actually fairly interesting points to make, especially in comparison to the, the previous two prequel films. Mm -hmm. This prequel film actually takes some interesting kind of political turns. So I was at a nine, but now it sounds like if I read the Stover book, I'm going to drop down. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, cool. With that, we'll move on to our likelihood to refer rating. And I will start with you, Mark. Oh, with this one, I'm going to have to give it a strong nine. Uh, you know, I... I'm over here. I've got Revenge of the Sith. There was like a part I wanted to tell you about. There was it, they define what the Clone Wars was and how it was the perfect Jedi trap. I mean, man, you've got to mm -hmm. grab that book and read it. And that's I think the thing with this is is it's a nine, not just for the fact that you should watch the film because it's a good film, but you should grab the book and read the book because the mm -hmm. book it is just one of those classic examples of how a book can really help a film be more than it was on the screen. Uh, and I think that that's that's just one of those things like when you watch this film when you watch the special features and stuff like the uh, the lightsaber fight where it says they did it for real or something like that 
and you watch the dedication that the actors had to making every movement look legitimate. Uh, you watch when, when they're going down the hallway and stuff and they've got their lightsabers, like they cut them short so they, they can pretend to hit the walls and stuff. Mm. And I mean, they're going full force. And that really shows in the quality of the imagery. But then, you know, you, you think about the story and while there are aspects of the story that are in the book that aren't in the film, so much of it still comes across. And then everything you think about with the prequel trilogy, you've watched these Jedi, you know, you're watching them start to fall and then you're watching single-handedly their chosen one is the one that's wiping them out. I mean, there, there's a Shakespearean tragedy in there. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. That's great. Definitely. Uh, Seth, what was your likelihood to refer rating? So if you're a Star Wars fan, I give it a 10 because mm. any Star Wars fan has to see all the Star Wars movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a given. Um, if you're not a Star Wars fan, I'd give it a 6. Okay. Um, because there's good action, but there's also a lot of parts where it's kind of very slow. Mm. And if you're not a fan, you're not going to want to sit through that kind of stuff. So Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. What about you, Nathan? I'd probably go with 10. I mean, unless I knew specifically they wouldn't care about this type of thing. But <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, I went with a 10 as well. And I think it's just for the same thing. Like, if you said to me, I'm not a Star Wars fan and I've never seen a Star Wars movie, then that totally changes the rating, right? It's like, well, then yeah. don't watch this one first. Like, why would you, <laughs> this is the worst idea. Um, but if you have seen like the original trilogy, I'm going to say, yeah, you've got to watch all of it. Like, you've got to know all of what yep. is transpiring here. Um, I will also just mention that this is the first of the prequel films that I felt like the acting was of a really high caliber. Um, in so fact, much a, better. So much better. In fact, there's a couple scenes with Hayden Christensen, who is a lot of times by fans like derided as like not doing a good job. Like he, when he's in the Jedi Council room and he's like tense and he's like pacing around and, and he's crying. I'm like, that is a tough scene, man. Like to pull that off well, and he does it. He pulls mm -hmm. it off well. I believe I believe him in that in that instance. Um, I think that he does a really good job. So, and I've always complained. I've always made the defense that all of the acting is actually George Lucas's fault. Yeah. Um, it's it's not the actor's fault. I don't think mm -hmm. in the, in a lot mm -hmm. of cases. And um, and in this case, I think uh, Hayden Christensen really redeems himself from Attack of the Clones. So yeah. Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, you are entered to win The Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates. Which, by the way, you should do anyways. So, go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now! So for now, what we're going to do is, and you guys have heard us talk about a few spoilers here and there, nothing like major, major spoilers, but now is the like the really critical spoiler warning. We are going to dive deep into this film. We have a lot of deep questions about the film, and if you are thinking about watching it, go watch it first before you listen to this part, portion of the show. Um, and Nathan, we're actually going to start with you on this question first. Um, in the opening crawl, we're told that there are heroes on both sides, but that evil is everywhere. So who are the heroes of the Separatist side? Who are the heroes of the Separatist movement? And, and then secondly, can evil people actually be heroes? Is that possible? What do you think, Nathan? Well, 
we'll start off technical. So according to Merriam-Webster, <laughs> they listed four bullet points under the definition of hero, and only one of those had to do with being morally good. Um, and the rest of them basically equate to like a legendary figure or warrior. So, you know, the easy answer is, yeah. So as long as they had some sort of, you know, important people that were fighting, that basically counts. So, you know, Grievous, Dooku, they probably count. Um, on the other hand, I would imagine most of the separatist movement doesn't see themselves as evil. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, do they don't know the real reason they're separating. Um, and so there very well could be a lot of morally good heroes out there. Obviously, we don't we don't really know much about him. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, and obviously, good job for pulling out the dictionary. That's always a good place <laughs> to start. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Um, well, from the actual movie itself, it's kind of hard to tell because uh, with reading the books and watching the Clone Wars, you find out that the Separatist movement is actually a very noble movement. And you know, watching the Clone Wars, you find out that some of the Separatists aren't actually bad people. They just had you know to choose between the lesser of two evils, mm. and um, you know they wanted to separate from the quote unquote corrupt Republic. But in the movie, we're shown that the Republic are the good guys. Um, and then going off of what Nathan said, I agree that you know heroes don't necessarily need to be quote unquote good. So General Grievous and Count Dooku would be considered you know war heroes, mm. and even Emperor Palpatine would be considered a hero of the Republic. So even though he was evil per se so. got it that's cool what about you mark yeah i'm in the same boat i think yes i mean today's separatists become tomorrow's rebels um you know we've got examples like lux uh yugi the bounty hunter mm -hmm. you know they're people that were, were doing good things even though they were considered on the wrong side of society's acceptable you know limits and i think that that's the thing is that you know like you said a lot of these people, they chose the lesser of two evils. And, you know, for them, it was just the fact that they were so removed from the core worlds and the fact that the core worlds didn't represent them. I think, you know, from somebody that lives in Oregon down at the, the southern end, we liken it to, you know, everything that happens voting-wise happens up in Portland because that's where all the people are and they're voting on things that matter to a metropolis that don't matter to rural Oregonians. So we're like, well, why do we want them voting for us? So there's that big push for doing the old uh, uh, J Jackson County or not Jackson County, Jefferson, the state of Jefferson with Northern mm. California, because Northern California deals with the same thing where all the people are down in Southern California. And so in a sense, you have that with the core worlds and the outer rim where you've got that separation of lifestyles. And I don't know. So, so for me, you've got that aspect of people trying to live the everyday life and yet you've got the political side of things coming in and they don't even realize that the Sith are pushing everything, that they're mm -hmm. creating all this conflict. And so they're just responding to the conflict in the best way possible. And it just happens to be playing into the Sith's hands. Mm -hmm. I think that those are excellent points. Um, and I would technically agree, but I am actually going to present another slightly different viewpoint to that as well. Because I do believe that there can be heroes on both sides. Mm -hmm. um, however... I think in the in the definition of as, as we look at the definition of hero slightly different than the dictionary definition where we talk about the difference between like a hero and a villain um, we look at be heroes being people who are selfless people who are sacrificing their own safety or comfort to benefit others like that's generally what I look at when I look at a hero so I think that you that that would give by definition that you can have heroes on both sides because both sides uh, have people who are being sacrificial and are trying to, you know, take care of other people. Um, but 
the question that's going to come up when we talk about this, and you guys can maybe even respond to this, though, is that if the system you're working for is inherently corrupt, then does that selfish selflessness only apply to a select group of people that you're specifically trying to protect? And if that group of people is actually on the side of oppression, mm. then can you still be a hero? Mm. So I think that answer is no. So like, for I'll just give you a really quick example. Like, if I said oh, wow, this soldier saved a 100 of his fellow soldiers by diving on a grenade. Mm -hmm. Each one of us would be like, that's amazing. That dude's a hero. Mm -hmm. If then I added the context that, well, this actually took place in occupied France and the soldiers, he said he was a Nazi and he saved all the Nazis, we would instantly go, oh, wait a minute. Like I question that guy's actual heroics. He did a heroic act for his fellow soldiers, mm -hmm. but the context he was under was a context of oppression. Mm -hmm. And uh, as an invading force. And so you're going, oh, well, yeah, he's being selfless to those guys. Yeah. But to other people around him, he's probably killing what we would consider innocent people or people who are uh, like on the right side, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, so it's a, I think it's an interesting debate. So I, I, I tend to agree with what you guys are saying and agree that in practice. And actually, Mark, you said something really interesting, which is. Um, today's separatists are tomorrow's rebels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, is 100% true. And our lens of history is somewhat guided by what, uh, you know, the generation before us decided was good or evil, mm -hmm. um, which makes things very subjective. But I do think that there's also something to be said for if you're oppressing other people, there's no subjectivity to that, really. <laughs> like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, so, of course, one... Yeah. One of the issues, though, we run into if we're if we're kind of going up the chain of context is that basically once you get to the top, Palpatine's controlling both sides. So exactly. then no one can be a hero. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> true. Exactly. Um, what, what other responses do you guys have to that? Just well, and the other thing, too, you mentioned the fact of, about how the regime is. And at this point. The Republic is still considered a good guy. You know, it hasn't become the Empire. It hasn't tightened down the hatches. So people are kind of being optimistic with it. You know, I mean, it's mm. like, well, it's not completely bad people. Whereas once the Empire takes over, the people that were separatists, they realize, okay, this is this isn't just bad. This is full on evil. This has become the Nazis. They're they're wiping out the Jews. We've got to stand up. We can't just sit by idly like we did before when it was questionable evil. You know, now it's full blown evil. And then, you know, like at that point, it really flips the script for a lot of the people out there because now they can't just ignore it. They can't just pretend, oh, well, it was one situation. It's like, no, this is happening across the galaxy now. You're watching legacy worlds being stripped of all their minerals and all their rights. And I, I mean, there's just so much that happens once Palpatine takes charge as Emperor Palpatine that he wasn't willing or able to do as Chancellor Palpatine. That is an excellent point. So I do think too, and I think you can make the same case for a lot of, like I, I just gave the case of clearly like an evil regime being like Hitler and the Nazis, but I think you can still make a case for the average citizen living in Germany before Hitler began to invade, right? Um, maybe you didn't know. I mean, maybe, because I think he ran on a very nationalistic, socialistic kind of platform and Germany was in a really bad place. Mm -hmm. So for a person at that time, you're thinking like, yeah, we could use somebody like this, right? We could use somebody that's going to help us out, not knowing that he was going to turn into the sort of evil character that he turned into, just mm -hmm. like Palpatine. So I think that that's a really important point too. Definitely. Um, any other responses? Well, going off that, um, you know, if you read more of the comics and the books, you find out that the core worlds really didn't think the empire was really evil. 
You know, right. the, the economy was flourishing. They thought everything that Sidious was doing was amazing. And so from their perspective, Sidious is a hero or Palpatine rather, right. Emperor Palpatine. He's saved the Republic. He's, you know, creating a stable economy. He's creating all this great things for everybody. And now, you know, here's these evil rebels that are trying to, to change our way of life. That's, yep. you know, very comfortable way of living for us. So it, it goes back to the, you know, the Nazi Germany, like you said, people, from their perspective, it doesn't seem like they're doing the wrong thing. But right. then from the other person's perspective outside, all of a sudden they're the people getting oppressed. Exactly. So. Exactly. It's it's interesting question. And, the la- and actually the last point I had on here kind of more agrees with your guys' other point. Because I said, well, with both the separatists and the republic, um, they're both actually governments that are technically leaning towards oppression in either side. In either case, right? Like if we, know, if we look at who's actually leading those things. They're at, they're both led by Sith, Sith leaning um, people. So you guys are right, but I just want to throw out a slightly different perspective on that one too. Uh, for question number two, we're introduced to General Grievous in the Crawl. It's the first time we encounter him, and the setup of this movie is really fascinating to me because Grievous has actually kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, um, and this brings up a couple of story questions. Um, some of which may have been addressed in the Clone Wars TV series, so we can jump into that a little bit too. But the first question I have is, do Grievous and Dooku know that Palpatine, Palpatine is also Sidious? Right? That's a critical question because they're kidnapping mm-hmm. the guy. Two, is this kidnapping part of Palpatine's plan? And why does the kidnapping occur and what purpose does it serve? And I'll start with you on this one, Seth. Okay, so simple answer, yes and yes. <laughs> um, Dooku obviously knows that Palpatine is Sidious. He tells Obi-Wan that in episode two. Um, now, is, if Grievous knows, that's a different question. Because you know, in the Clone Wars, you do see that Dooku keeps a lot of secrets from Grievous. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's more of a speculative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it was you know, part of Sidious' plan. He, he manipulated, he was puppeteering both sides of the war... The war is now coming to an end. He sees that Anakin is getting stronger and stronger, and he's getting more and more corrupt as it goes on, which you see in the Clone Wars. You see Anakin, um, his story arc is a lot more smooth when you mm. include the Clone Wars than just go from episode two to episode three. And so Palpatine's seen all this. And I feel like, from what I'm seeing, is I feel like he was ready to end the war. Mm. And part of ending the war includes killing Dooku. Ah. And so he knew if he got captured... Um, that led a great opportunity for Obi-Wan and, and especially Anakin to kill both Grievous and Dooku. Unfortunately, Grievous gets away, so it gets prolonged a little bit longer, but in the ultimate things, he wanted to get rid of those two, and that's why they were on the same ship, uh, and that's why he had Anakin you know, go get them. Yeah, that's good. That's a good take. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat uh, with Seth there. I mean, I, I think Grievous is in the dark i think grievous was really trying to do something and i think dooku and sidious were allowing what grievous was doing to fall into their plans like seth said you know you could wipe out both of them uh in the aspect of the kidnapping being part of the plan i think this also goes into it pushes the fear you know at this point the separatists are winning the war and if they can strike at the capital mm-hmm. no place is safe i mean at this point you know you've got them winning everything and now they're right on the doorstep of the capital of the galaxy and they're saying, we're going to steal your boss. Like at that point, <laughs> like I think everybody is scared and, and quickly by Dooku getting taken out, it's a complete reversal of fortune. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's excellent. Nathan, you want to add anything? No, I don't 
have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> so he, I actually had a, the exact same thing written that, that Seth and Mark had. So that, but I actually had one additional point, and this is more from a writing standpoint than it is from a um, from a story how it fits in the story perspective. And here's why I think that this was really included because it's sort of odd to include, mm. right? Like like you pointed out, Mark, like it does showcase that the separatist movement is more powerful than we had previously thought they were. But here's why I think that George Lucas really included this scene. And I hadn't thought of this until I asked myself this question, which is kind of fun. But I think it's because we get to see the reversal of the return of the Jedi scene. Mm-hmm. You, see, you see Sidious sitting on his mm. throne. Now he's captured, so quote unquote, this time. But he's sitting on his throne. He is seducing Anakin as Anakin fights Dooku, just like he was trying to seduce Luke as Luke fought Vader. Yeah. And we just get the reversal of fortunes, right? Like, so there's like this, like, I don't know what you call it. There's like this cyclic kind of feel to this is going to mm-hmm. happen again in a different context and yep. different decisions will be made, but it's the same type of scenario, which um, I thought it was really cool because that really dives into the Skywalker history mm-hmm. and draws that out and broadens that out, which I thought was super, super cool. One thing about that scene that always jumped out to me, too, because you talk about the manipulation of Anakin, is is that's one of the few times we've seen Palpatine use his Sidious voice. Do it. And I yeah. always wondered, you know, was he was he adding some dark side force power there? Because if he was, that would definitely make things with Anakin make more sense. There was a theory in Legends that Dooku, or not Dooku, that Sidious was always watching him, that he found out that Plagueis had created him and so had been keeping tabs on him the whole time. Mm. And there was a thought that he was slowly trying to manipulate Anakin through the force as well, that every time they were around each other, he was kind of bombarding him. Uh, and it was always a fan theory, but I always, you know, when you see that and you think about the new direction with canon, how they add the layers to Sidious's voice, they added the layers to Mo- uh, Mother Talzin's voice, you've got all these weird aspects of, you know, what's going on with their voice, like, are, are they reaching some mastery with the dark side, are they being possessed by some spirit, and, you know... Now we're moving into the realm of canon where, you know, anything's a little more possible again if they choose to go that direction. And so I was always kind of wondering, you know, will they go back and make it something like maybe, you know, maybe Anakin got poisoned along the line or, or you know, something was slowly corrupting him. You know, that line that Yoda said, once you start down the dark side forever, it'll dominate your path and stuff. You know, we've seen Anakin already wipe out the younglings and stuff. What if that was the doorway and that Palpatine, we know Palpatine was talking to Anakin about these things in the book. You know, mm-hmm. he'd always, he kept bringing that up. He knew about Padme he kept that kind of a secret and then he full-on brought that up too. like hey I know you're married to her I know she's dying I can help you like he starts really playing all that stuff up with Anakin Mm -hmm. and you almost wonder if he's using the love as a way to to draw the dark side out of Anakin you know Mm -hmm. the opposite of love is that wanting to possess yeah yeah I think that's a really good take I I like that theory because I mean it's it's not like that's going to be unheard of because, let's face it, the guy's controlling the entire galaxy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's pulling every single string to... to, And he has backup plans. Yeah. Like, I think it's pretty safe for us to say that if the Separatists had started to win the war, he'd just become Separatists yeah. and then rule them, right? Like, yep. So the guy has everything covered. He's, he's a master planner, yep. um, for sure. Another thing, too, for Palpatine is, is from the political side, even though they win and Anakin and them are triumphant... All the people on Coruscant now are more than happy to start voting for more weapons, more war funds, more ships, and so forth. Oh, Mm -hmm. true. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, 
sticking with sort of the grievous um, aspect of things, uh, he was trained by Dooku, specifically in regards to lightsaber battles. Um, he's killed several Jedi. He's collecting their lightsabers. Uh, he is not Force-sensitive, though. So what are your thoughts on the ability of a non-Force user to battle Force users? And I'll start with you on this one, Mark. Well, I think Dooku is a special case in the aspect that he's already so robotic and has the ability to move in directions that are inhumanly possible. Uh, and in Legends, I always felt like Force users, they had a natural advantage. But canon now, it seems like everybody has some type of a Force sensitivity, whether it's active or not. I mean, it just seems like, you know, the Han Solos of the world, you know, they're out there, they're able to make a shot on Darth Vader in a TIE advance. Like, mm. that that shouldn't be a shot that Han should be able to make, and yet he is able to make it. I mean, clearly the will of the Force can sometimes override natural Force sensitivity. Mm. Uh, and then you think about the comics right now, they're doing a lot with... Uh, People that are being enhanced with robotics and you almost get the sense that while some people are chosen by the force and have this mystical side that technology can more than make up for it mm -hmm. mm, that's good Nathan what about you yeah I agree um, I think it also throughout the prequels it seems pretty obvious that the Jedi are also just people you know they're not mm -hmm. superheroes there are you know a few of them like Yoda who you, maybe you could basically think of as superheroes but in general, most of them just basically seem to be, you know, well-trained people with some extra skills. Because you see them dying in the Geonosis arena, mm -hmm. you see the clones taking them out fairly easily. So they're not like super magic. And again, yeah, you see what what Grievous does when he starts fighting Obi-Wan. And, you know, that the stuff he's doing with those lightsabers is something a Jedi couldn't really even do. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it makes sense. Seth, anything to add? Yeah, kind of going off of uh, what Nathan said is, you know, it's it brings an interesting element to the Star Wars universe, I think. Like like Nathan said, you know, the Jedi aren't these all-powerful beings that no one can kill or unless you're a Sith or another Jedi. Um, it shows that, you know, a normal person like, you know, Grievous or like if you watch the Clone Wars, the Mandalorians can actually take on and hold their own against the Jedi. Um, but a lot of these people who do take on the Jedi have some kind of... Uh, some kind of what's the word I'm looking for like advantage against mm -hmm. them um, some kind of unorthodox way of fighting like Grievous he has his four lightsabers if you watch the Clone Wars the Mandalorian has the, the black lightsaber which that in itself is very intimidating mm -hmm. so it's just it's a way of catching the Jedi off guard I think that's how they ultimately end up beating them um, with their unorthodox way of fighting yeah I think the only thing that I would say as a point of contention against what you guys are saying which I'm in general agreement with is that whether it's canon in terms of the fight with Obi-Wan or whether especially if it's more of the Legends material, um, we've seen people with force powers that are so inherently destructive and mm -hmm. so advantageous that there's no chance that anybody who's not a force user would be able to contend with them. Mm -hmm. So for example, we see um, Obi-Wan force push Grievous like across the room into the wall and I do agree that Grievous does have some advantages over Obi-Wan that he could utilize. But it just it just occurs to me that like unless you had some way to inhibit another Force user's ability, there are Force abilities that we've seen, whether it's canon or legends, that would make it almost prohibitive for you to be able to beat a Jedi, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can a Jedi put someone in stasis? Can a Jedi, like, like we see Kylo Ren do in mm -hmm. the future? Can... Um, 
can the Jedi use uh, Force Push to push... I mean, if he could Force Push Grievous a couple more times, and Grievous is, like, in the trash compactor. I mean, <laughs> so... But and Grievous doesn't seem to have a way of countering that. So, I do... I So, what I like about what you guys are saying is, I like that there's a balance. Because mm-hmm. if Jedi were just... Jedi or Sith were just, like, the most powerful people in the galaxy, it would get a little boring. Mm-hmm. Like, I, th- I like the fact that the Mandalorians have these war techniques that are advanced and really cool and i like the fact that we can have like a boba fett or a Django fett be yeah. like okay come on you want to fight jedi like i'm just as good as you and just in different ways exactly um i like that but i also think that there's a little bit of an imbalance in the way that that's handled mm-hmm. pun intended well, really um <laughs> isn't that the dogma though of the jedi i mean had grievous been going up a, against a sith a sith would have just crushed him with whatever was available or just used his, his mm-hmm. hand and crushed him with the force i mean he really mm-hmm. got lucky that the jedi had rules in place that forbid them from doing certain types of techniques yep yeah it's true and that's always like you know like what <laughs> how how much could he use force push or how much could he just like crumple all of Grievous's armor, you know, like is that dark? Is that light? Is that because he's gonna kill him anyways? Like, does it matter how he kills him? I guess maybe it does, but it, it is at least an interesting topic of discussion. Well, did you ever watch the cartoon, The Clone Wars, that came out right before the movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like I saw parts of them, but not all of them. So the that's Gandhi the longer series. Canon. Yeah, the the Cartoon Network series. You see, um, who is it? Mace Windu actually crush. I think it's either the the vocal cords or the, like part of Grievous's lungs. Uh, and that's why he's yeah. actually coughing. Oh, and so, yeah. but then Grievous, you know, ran away because obviously he can't take on Mace Windu. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. going back to Grievous, I think Grievous just really was very strategic about who he fought mm. and he fought the, the less powerful Jedi. He usually took on the Padawans, killed the Padawans. So then they, it breaks the master and then now he can kill the master. Yeah, and he know. used, you know, darkness and fear in his forearms just to be very, very intimidating. But someone like Obi-Wan, who's one of the greatest Jedi ever, you know, there's not much he can do against him. Same right. with Yoda and same with Mace Windu. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's like going up against a chess program, you know, when you've got the computer set at master level. You're like, uh, <laughs> he's trained under Dooku. He's mimicking everything Dooku does. Like, we are really hosed. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is a great point. Okay, so uh, question number four, and we're going to discuss Anakin's character arc a little bit later. But after Anakin kills Dooku... Um, he's talking to Yoda, and Yoda says, uh, I should do this in a Yoda voice, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> fear of loss is a path to the dark side. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. Mourn them do not. Miss them do not. Attachment leads to jealousy. The shadow of greed, that is. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. What do you guys think about Yoda's spiritual perspective in this scene and i'll start with you nathan it feels like he's just getting a little more specific about his fear leads to anger etc speech um and this this time talking more specifically about yeah the the loss and death side of things but again it sounds like he's mostly just warning that again attachment can be a first step toward the dark side if you're afraid of losing those attachments Hmm. which you know, it seems like he knows mm-hmm. Anakin is. True. Seth, what do you think? What, do you th- what is your take on that? That's a really good question. I'm actually curious to see what Mark has to say, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Mark, go for it. Well, with that one, I think, you know, Yoda gives some sound advice. 
you, you almost have to wonder, like Nathan was saying, like, did Yoda sense that Anakin, that this mm-hmm. is where he was going to fall, and so he's trying to give him the tools he needs? Because, you know, had Anakin been truthful, had he been a little bit more open and honest about what was going on, Yoda could have definitely tailed it to be more specific to him. Uh, I don't think Yoda actually realized that this was a complete cry for help. That's where I kind of like, like, I think Yoda was sensing that Anakin was going to lose himself through attachment, but I don't think that he realized how bad of a cry for help this was. He thought he was just there giving him some minor guidance, you know? Yeah. You need to add to that, Seth? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say growing attachments, it's, it can be very dangerous because as you see Anakin, you know, kill all the sand people when his mom dies, it's just, you know, I think Yoda's smarter than, than what the movies play off to see, and I'm sure Yoda sent something some kind of darkness. They say that all the time. They they send some kind of darkness around Anakin. Yeah, yeah. And whether it be him killing the Sand People or whether it's his, you know, him becoming Darth Vader, Yoda definitely knew something was going on. And I think, like like they both said, you know, this, he was giving him the tools to to help prevent that. Yeah, and I think what you guys are saying is very insightful, and it's it's true to Yoda's character. But some of the things that I noticed about it, just as we even, you know, now I'm going to take this probably a little bit outside the realm of that movie into the realm of like the bigger bigger pictures on spirituality as a whole. But in the prequel films, the Jedi are constantly promoting mindfulness and peace, mm-hmm. and they're constantly condemning attachment and fear, mm-hmm. um, particularly as it relates to Anakin. Um, and so I don't want to just say that they would say that to anyone in any kind of circumstance. Um, but the one thing that I think that would help Anakin through this, and the one thing that is lacking in the Jedi Order and the Jedi Council's perspective is that they very rarely focus anything on love mm-hmm. at all. Like they kind of avoid love in the greater context. And I think that would be one way to get through to Anakin. Like instead of saying to someone like, oh, you know what? Like death is just a natural part of life, dude. Just get over it. Like <laughs> just don't even mourn them. Like, you, you know, like, but the reality that, that we face is that no, death is like tragic in life. We have to, and so why do we mourn death? Not so that we can just stay in mourning, but so that we could actually say like, wow, that's, this is a serious thing and we want to kind of address this in a serious way. So I, I think love and attachment are actually two different things. So like attachment, the way that Anakin is attached to some of the people he's been attached to is actually like more of a self-possessive love as opposed to a selfless love. Mm. But nobody stops to talk to Anakin about that perspective. And I'm almost wondering if that's part of why the Jedi in the prequel era sort of need to be reset. Or that's part of why the Force is saying, let's actually have the Sith take over for a time because you're actually getting it wrong. You've become Mm -hmm. too political and you've become too focused on things that don't pertain to what the Force is all about. And Legends played with that a lot, too. I mean, you think about the book I, Jedi, and Coran Horn. Like, once he realized that he needed to sacrifice himself to save the people that he cared for, that was when he became Superman. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like every time he ever was in a situation, even when you get to uh, him in the New Jedi Order, when he's in Dark Tide 1 or 2, you know, as soon as he's ready to lay it all on the line for the people around him, that's when he personifies what it is to be a Jedi. And in a sense, that's what Luke discovers. You know, no, I'm not going to kill my dad. I'm I'm going to love my dad and I'm going to forgive my dad. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Let's move on to question number five. And guess what? We are going to bring up the prophecy of the Chosen One yet again. We've So far on all the podcasts in this series, we have talked about the Chosen One prophecy. 
Mace Windu says that he does not trust Anakin, and when Obi-Wan replies by saying, With all due respect, isn't Anakin the chosen one? Yoda responds with, A prophecy that misread could have been. So once um, again, the most important part, though, is the look Mace gives him after that. Like, you're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Um, so and it leads us to this question, though. Like, once again, having watched all three prequels films now in, in this mm-hmm. podcast series, do you think that Anakin is the chosen one? Do you think it's someone else? Is it just a random prophecy? Um, have we already been introduced to the Chosen One, perhaps in a future movie? Does the Chosen One prophecy matter? And if so, who is it? So I will start with Seth on this one. Okay, so do you not want me going into the original trilogy for this? No, you can go <laughs> anywhere you want to with this one. Okay, so after watching the, the original six movies, I think Anakin is the Chosen One. Um, because you realize that it's not... After watching the prequels, you realize it's not really about Luke. It's more about Anakin and his overall transformation to Darth Vader and then coming back to the light side through Luke. Um, and then in the Clone Wars, you see Anakin, Ahsoka, and Anakin, or Obi-Wan meet these three sentient beings. I forget their names, but they're very, very force-powerful, mm-hmm. and they all believe Anakin to be the Chosen One. Um, but on contrary, um, and this is a huge spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it, in Rebels, um, when Obi-Wan fights Darth Maul, and quick side note, I counted the, the moves. It was three moves, and it was over. <laughs> Uh, when Obi-Wan kills Maul, and as Maul's dying in his arms, um, Maul says, are you protecting, is the one you're protecting truly the Chosen One? And which Obi-Wan replies with, he is. And so that kind of throws a little curveball, but I think the reason Obi-Wan says that is because he truly believes that Anakin died on Mustafar, and that Anakin and Darth Vader are completely different people, and there's no coming back for Vader. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you come back around to Luke, and here's Yoda and Obi-Wan both preaching that to Luke, yet Luke still sees the good in his father. He sees the light in there. And at the very end of the day, it's not Luke who kills the Sith, it's Darth Vader who kills the Sith. He ends up throwing Palpatine over the edge and killing himself in the process, mm. thus you know, eliminating the Sith from the galaxy. So I think the Chosen One is Anakin exactly. slash Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do, you, what do you think, Nathan? Yeah, that's basically exactly what I would say. Um, <laughs> the other thing... Related that I forgot about um, that during that scene that actually kind of goes toward the discussion we've been having about what exactly balance means, and you know you you don't like the idea that balance means a balance between Jedi and Sith, right? Um, but when they actually say what the prophecy is, they actually say the one who would destroy the Sith and bring balance to the Force, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so that you know that seems to say what what that means right there. So I think that helps. Absolutely. Going off of that too, I think uh, what you said, Jay, earlier, where the Jedi were unbalanced, and part of that unbalance was the Jedi Order, and that needed to be eliminated as well. Mm. So the Sith needed to be eliminated, and the Jedi Order needed to be eliminated. And who did that? Anakin. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. What do you think, Mark? Anything? Anything to add? Well, well, you know, I've always got that Legends perspective. So for me, I've always kind of believed that the Chosen One was a bloodline. You know, I mean, in mm. Legends, Luke and the Solo Twins, like they were always at these pinnacle moments when the galaxy was teetering on the edge of darkness. And it just always felt like, and granted it was the writers, not the will of the Force, but it always felt like the will of the Force to put them in that position. Mm. Time after time after, you know, I mean, even to the point where at, at one point for Jaina, the threat is her own brother. I mean, you know, it, it didn't matter what it was. One of them was always there to stand up for the light. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as Seth said, 
you know, empirically, as Lucas stated, Anakin is the chosen one, and, and exactly as Seth puts it, that's why. Uh, but I think, you know, Star Wars is so much more than just what we see. Mm-hmm. And while it is true, Anakin is that chosen one, I think that Luke also is chosen because, and even Leia, like, again, it gets back to that chosen one bloodline. of mm-hmm. They were born from Anakin, who was basically born divinely or as a product through the Sith, who then ended up divinely becoming good. Uh, but there was more to him than just being, you know, I mean, there was there was definitely the hand of prophecy, whether it was believed or not. And I think that that continues past Anakin. While Anakin definitely secedes and he completes that part of the prophecy, we think about in the Clone Wars with Mortis, that prophecy was meant to be the father's role. Anakin was supposed to take the father's role. And, and I'm with you, Jay, in that aspect of the prequels and the Clone Wars. The more they gave us with the Force philosophy, the muddier the waters became. <laughs> it's like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. What the hell's going on? So sometimes I'm like, I, I just I don't want to know more. But now that canon's been reset, there's that aspect of, well, maybe the Sith aren't a species. Maybe the Sith and the Jedi came from another order and there was a schism like what we had with Legends, but instead the original order was demolished because they were broken to light and dark factions and neither side wanted anything to do with the other. Because, And there's a question we get to later where I truly feel like the Sith should be using the light and the dark side because they want to be better than the Jedi and are willing to take everything into account. But that's not really the case. They seem to really be focusing just on the dark side, whereas the Jedi are focusing just on the light. And I wonder if now in canon we're going to find out that there was some type of schism that divided them that direction instead of what we had in Legends. Because the way that they evolved in Legends and stuff doesn't quite always line up with everything that we got later. And of course, Mm -hmm. you know, you had to make an alternate universe to make it work, but... I, I still wonder about that of, you know, the force has been awakened. You know, I mean, the force, they'd always kind of tried to stay away from the aspect of it being sentient. You know, the will of the force was as close as we got to sentience before. Well, now it's awakening. And, you know, I'm mean, like, what the hell does that mean? There's so many questions here that I have that I'm like, I can't look to legends for any of the answers because it's an alternate universe where most of the stuff that was laid as a foundation no longer counts. And so while it works within its own universe, it doesn't work for canon. And so I'm constantly conflicted with that of the things that I know that I need to unlearn. I'm like, damn it, Lucas, you're unlearned. <laughs> what you've learned <laughs> uh one thing i wanted to add to the question about whether or not anakin was the chosen one just really quick before we move on is that i think that there's actually evidence to support the claim that he is the chosen one though so i agree with you guys um though i do love mark's theory about the chosen one being like a lineage that's mm-hmm. really kind of a cool way to, a cool take on it there's this interesting point where Palpatine tells Anakin that he needs to explore all the different sides, not mm-hmm. just the light side, but the dark side as well. Yep. And I think you're looking at um, somebody who goes, now that I've seen, first of all, I was rescued out of slavery. Yep. I'm trained under a master Jedi um, and get all of the Jedi training that I can get. Um, I fall in love and actually um, procreate. So you have all of these aspects happening that if those things didn't happen, I don't think he could have turned to the light side in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he can still see the light side because he used to know the light side and delved into the light side. Then he understands the dark side as well. There's balance in terms of what his understanding mm-hmm. of both worlds is. And in the ultimate ending, he makes the decision for the light. So I think that there's some evidence just tossed in there that can give us more of a sense yeah. that... He is the chosen one, or at least yeah, he's part of the lineage, definitely. at least. 
Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market, better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. So, jumping right into question number six, the whole time Palpatine is trying to convince Anakin that the Jedi want to control the Republic and that they're not as altruistic as they portray themselves to be, um, do you think that it's just a ploy to turn Anakin to the dark side? Or do you believe that Palpatine has some legitimate accusations against the Jedi? And I'll start with you first, Mark. Well, honestly, I think the truth they've always, I think the Sith have always buried their lies in truth. So I think therefore it's not really a lie. Uh, I think also, you know, the Jedi, they become less of what they were. I mean, they basically became soldiers instead of protectors. And even that was a ploy for the Sith. I mean, the Sith were manipulating everything for such a long time that it's, you know, you have to question when exactly did the Jedi start to lose their way. In Legends, we find out the Sith actually going back quite a ways had done something to the Force that had caused the Jedi to start losing their touch. And it started masking things. And they were, I mean, it was it was incredibly complex. I believe it was the uh, Darth Plagueis novel that first introduced it. And I think it was Plagueis' master's master, which was a Twi'lek uh, that had kicked that off. Mm. It basically ripped a hole in the Force with the dark side. And... I don't know if that's something that they plan on doing still, because they often say there's a lot of truth in Legends. Uh, but that's something that, with canon, I'm still... I don't want to speculate too much on, because I've got all the Legends knowledge. And you stop and think about it. Canon-wise, all we really know is Darth Bane. You know, mm. I mean, there's really nothing beyond that that is mm -hmm. set in stone about who the Sith are, where they came from, what they did, when they started manipulating things against the Jedi... Uh, you know, you've only got things from Legends, which paints up a pretty good picture. But I think that Palpatine was going to try to get Anakin either way and was also going to take out the Jedi no matter how he could. Because mm -hmm. taking out the Jedi definitely seems to be a beef that the Sith have. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if it's Palpatine that does it or his Padawan or whatever. You know, we're going to take out the Jedi because that's our goal. But I think that's where Palpatine threw away the rule of two because he's like, we're there, we're about to do it, and we don't need this rule of two anymore because I won. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your take, Nathan? Yeah. Um, I think there's a little bit of truth to it. I, not that the Jedi Council actually wants to take over the Republic or anything, but they obviously have a position of power and they do want to control certain aspects. Um so I think it just makes it easier for him to kind of use that as an example. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, throughout this whole movie, he's basically just telling Anakin whatever he needs to tell him. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Well, and once he takes power, too, it becomes truth. Because as soon as the Jedi know there's a Sith in power, they're definitely <laughs> going to take it from him. That's true. Right, right. <laughs> That's true, too. So what do you think, Seth? Anything to add? Yeah, um, kind of going off what both of them said. Um, I think it definitely is a play to turn Anakin into dark side. But I do think there are some legit accusations. And so let's just take a minute to like look at it from Anakin's perspective. Uh, like Mark said, you know, at a very young age... He's taken from his mother, never to see her again. Mm-hmm. And she has to remain a slave, which is something you guys talked to talked about in the, the episode one podcast. Yep. Um, and then you have visions of your, her death, but you're forbidden to go see her and save her life, right. which is also kind of against, you know, the Jedi code of saving people and, you know, being selfless. Um, you, you fall in love, but you're not allowed to love. So you have to become married in secret. Or you get married in secret, which becomes makes things extremely uncomfortable. You see this when he's talking with Yoda. He can't fully explain what's going on with his feelings because he has to hide all these things because of the Jedi Code. Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan doesn't even know everything either. Right. Um, you know, He was told that he's going to become a peacekeeper, but then all of a sudden he's thrust into a general of war. Uh, and this makes the Jedi seem like they're hypocrites because now they're not keeping the peace. They're leading the, the charge for this huge war. Mm-hmm. Um, you're constantly told that you're the the most powerful Jedi or going to be the most powerful Jedi and that you're the chosen one, yet the council doesn't doesn't trust you and they have you do the, all their dirty work. You know, and That's a huge slap to the face. And then they have you, by the, doing their dirty work, they're having you spy on the, the um, Chancellor Palpatine, who is one of Anakin's only friends like one, and most trusted friends. And you see that he potentially has a more close relationship with Palpatine because he actually tells Palpatine about the Sand People, something that only uh, Padme knew about. Right. Obi-Wan doesn't even know about that. And so here it is, you know, these, this religious group, for lack of a better word, that you follow, and now they're telling you to spy on your best friend because they don't trust him. And they want to give you some power, but they don't completely trust you because, in Yoda's words, you're unpredictable. Yeah. And you're a danger to yourself and to the enemy, or to yourself, your enemies, and your friends. And this is in the Clone Wars when he says that. So... It's, you know, and Palpatine knows all this. And so he's just poking holes Mm -hmm. in all these things. And eventually Anakin starts seeing this and Anakin, you know, with Palpatine whispering in his ears the entire time, Anakin's like, yeah, Yeah. you're right. Yeah, you're right. They are like that. (laughs) And then just, you know, comes full circle and Anakin eventually resents the Jedi. So I think it's a really valuable take to look at it from Anakin's perspective. And just to tack on more evidence, because that's all this is, that we're all saying, like, there's a legitimate case to be made here. So it was interesting, because my wife watched this movie with me, and one of the things that she said was, she goes, um, everything that Jedi Council does proves that they're afraid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they're sitting here telling him not to be afraid, not to be afraid, not to be afraid. They're telling him to um, look at, like, look to mindfulness, look to mindfulness, like, be mindful of the Force, be mindful of the Force. But the entire time, they're cut off from the Force and afraid. And they're making all of their decisions <laughs> yep. that way. So it's, it's obvious that um, they're not coming from the right place. And they're not, like you, you pointed out, Seth, with the, with the laundry list of things, they're not following their own tenets. Um, and I think, ultimately... It's a little bit of a message that George Lucas is putting out there um, about, despite the fact that he has the political message going on, he's actually saying, too, if we let politics get in the way of our spirituality, it can actually start to dictate our actions as opposed to the spirituality dictating our actions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we see a lot of times in this this film. So That's really interesting. 
We Another thing, too, yeah. is you think about the fact that, you know, we don't know what happened in the past. And we do know eventually something happens that wipes out the Sith or so the Jedi think. Mm. And then you think about the fact that when Maul shows up, it's so out of nowhere for him. They know that there is a disturbance in the Force. They're feeling the dark side growing. And then all of a sudden, bam, there's a Sith. And now they're thrust in all this war. So they know the Sith are at the heart of everything. And they know that they fought the Sith to the point that they were trying to make them extinct. I mean, that's got to be a scary place to be, knowing that the Jedi Order that has been existing for thousands of years without the Sith, and suddenly the Sith are back with a vengeance. You have no idea where they're at. You just know they're affecting everything you're doing. I mean, that has got to weigh heavily on them in the aspect of, you know, you're in this institution that's gone on for thousands and thousands of years, and the Order that you wiped out is here to wipe you out, and you don't know anything about them. I mean, that's got to be terrifying. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, cool. So let's transition into the next question, which is, are the Sith truly evil? Are the Jedi truly good? Is one side right and the other wrong? What do you think? And I'll start with you, Seth. Oh, man. That is a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think there's both good and bad things, quote unquote good and quote unquote bad things about both the Jedi and the Sith. And it's funny that you asked this question because I actually took one of those Facebook quizzes yeah. and it said, like, what kind of Jedi are you? And I came out as a gray Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And um, I think the gray Jedi have it right. You know, there's you need to know the Sith and know the, the way that of the dark side of the force in order to defend yourself against it. But and, uh, and there's good things about the, the dark side that you can use to your advantage. But, you know, being just light side also has its disadvantages. You know, you, you become blind to the complete dark side which is a whole other part of the force Mm. you know and whether you choose to use it for evil or whether you choose it to use it for good that's your choice Mm. and without understanding everything fully it's hard to you know to say what's right or wrong and um, i think it's warren buffett and sorry to get you know business on this but i think it's warren buffett says that says don't ever argue a point until you can argue it better than both sides ah Yes. So, and I think that's something that the Jedi lack. They just know the light side and they say the light side's the only way without knowing anything about the dark side. So. Uh, that's great. By the way, I will interject just really quickly. Um, Seth is one of the co-founders of Ur- Urban Vinyl. So if you listen to this podcast frequently, you hear our Urban Vinyl ad that we do. Um, well, one of the reasons why they sponsor this podcast is because Seth is a big geek, obviously, <laughs> uh, as you can hear. Um, and we're both wearing our Urban Vinyl headphones, yeah, and are. Uh, they are sound amazing. So just wanted to point out we when we like when we get different sponsors and things like that, like we like to have some value alignment with them. And mm-hmm. so we have geeks that are sponsoring our show, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> Um, that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, ne- so who wants to tackle this next? Should we jump over to you, Mark? Sure. For me, it's it's a difficult one because, like as I said, you know, we don't know anything about the early history of the Sith and the Jedi where they came from anymore. So I have to tackle this from a legends perspective. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I, I really I think in general. It's more complex than even legends and canon has ever been able to provide us. Mm. Uh, you know, it comes down to. There are things that Seth pointed out that, and and again, it's all from Legends, right? So (laughs) there are aspects that the Sith are able to protect themselves from other dark side attacks and stuff. That would definitely be a knowledge that the Jedi could learn from. Uh, The Sith learning how to heal. I mean, there's aspects of each side that I could see them using, but if I look at what's in canon it does kind of feel like one side is more evil than the other side. One side is just specifically out there to get back at the other side. 
which so I, I keep wondering, you know, where's what what history are we going to find out down the road? You know, like were they originally one order and one side decided, hey, we're not going to we're not going to play with the dark stuff anymore. You're done. You're cut off. And they were like, no, we're not going to kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, so so that's where the, the water is muddy. When I think of just the legends aspect, though. I know for sure that there are Sith that are good. I mean, you know, the Lost Tribe of the Sith proves that, you know, and that was always a, a big concept of Legends was do the ends justify the means? Mm. And, you know, what what was your intent? Uh, in I, Jedi, Karan Horn used fear, for example, to strike fear in the hearts of the pirates that were doing wrong. He was he was trying to take the fear that they were putting on to the innocent and turn it around on them, therefore making it a good use. Mm. Uh, Luke and Jason were able to use force lightning and called it force judgment. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, Poe Kloon even was able to use the Force Lightning. So there were aspects of that that Legends played with that I always felt like Lucas and Canon weren't happy with. <laughs> you know, like Lucas always kind of made it seem like Force Lightning is strictly Sith only. And the only time you're using it is when you're very in the dark side. Uh, and, and then, of course, you know, Legends went the opposite direction. So it, it's a tough question. I, and it's one that I think Canon really hasn't set enough fact out for us to put to rest. Mm. Hmm. Good point. Nathan, anything to add to the discussion on this one? Hmm. Yeah, I guess just going off of, you know, who can use what powers and things, I guess part of it seems to be the intent. I mean, obviously, on the one, you know, you could even say that with the lightsabers, right? It's like, it's basically a killing machine. Hmm. So you could be like, well, it's, you know, you must be evil if you carry around a killing machine for killing things. Huh. Um, so it's but light, obviously, lightsabers don't kill people, Sith kill people? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you need that shirt. Somebody create that t-shirt. Do you have Gun an laws. open carry permit for that, Mr. Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I agree that, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like what they use necessarily... Um, says whether they're good or bad or not. I can see where Lucas was coming from, where, you know, it's, I almost feel like that's more of kind of a storytelling shortcut, where you, you kind of have to make it obvious where the characters, you know, where, where they're coming from, you know, which is also why we kind of have the red lightsabers, which we also have reasons for that. But mm -hmm. again, there's a reason he kind of came up with those things um, to just kind of help reinforce the underlying themes. So it almost feels like, the question of whether the Sith are evil or not is less to do with, oh, do they force lightning someone <laughs> as opposed to, you know, why, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and again, like we've always, we, you know, we keep saying on these podcasts, it seems like if basically you're, you're completely selfish and are willing to do whatever you can to get whatever you want, you know, that, that seems fairly evil. And again, at, at least in, in canon, it seems like that is usually the main hallmark of the Sith. Yeah, and I, and I actually took it a little bit more like you did, because I'm not as extensively knowledgeable about Legends as Mark or Seth is. Like, not at all. Um, I am a huge fan of a lot of the games, but we haven't even talked about the games yet, and how <laughs> the games affect things. Um, but even like in the, I'm thinking I'm replaying through Knights of the Old Republic, um, the sequel, and I've already played through Coder One like I don't know how many times. Like I love that game, um, and if you're just looking at that, or if you're looking at canon, it really the Sith are all about power, controlling other people, 
and then oppression tends to be at the heart of that in all cases. Like, like even I think even Lucas tries to give Palpatine sort of a throwaway like purpose of like creating peace in the galaxy because he brings that up, right? Like, oh, it's not going to be peaceful until I take it over and like basically oppress everyone I disagree with so that there's peace because that's the way I want it. Um, but I think in all regards, it's the Sith are truly evil, in my opinion. But the question of whether or not the Jedi are truly good, to me, I actually think that there's some issues to resolve there. Because I, I think I can answer the first question with, are the Sith truly evil? Now, Mark, you brought up a, some, some really good examples of Sith who have not been evil, mm-hmm. but some of that's been more Legends-based than probably Canon-based at this point in time. So I would say Sith are evil. Jedi, though, I don't think that they're truly good because the opposite of evil... So if we say like evil is the focus on self at the expense of others, or even that it's like harming others, like that's evil, then the opposite of that isn't mindfulness, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like uh, I don't think we can say that the opposite of that's mindfulness. I think it would go back to the opposite of that is loving other people. Yeah. And at that point, I go, well, then the Jedi can't be truly, truly good because the Jedi don't even want to take emotion into the emotion into consideration. So. I almost feel like the Sith are definitely wrong. The Jedi are like half right, and then I'm what I'm hoping for. And this is like my big hope for the for what's coming up in the new episodes is that when when Luke says that you know this is the last Jedi, it's they had it all wrong because they were just focused on mindfulness. But I know what would have helped, and what would have helped was this other category of even going beyond that to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and, and he's actually shown that in his life because like you said Mark he loved his dad and that's how he turned his dad Yep. so um, I don't know it'll be interesting to see but that's kind of my take on it I like it yeah one of the big things between the Jedi and the Sith was the Sith always put their will on the force and the Jedi they did the will of the force and when you think about it in that regard the Sith putting their will to try to take out the Jedi basically became the will of the Force. And at the point that the Jedi realized this is happening, they're like, we're not going to roll over in the night. Yeah. Like, we're going to apply our will to the Force now. And at that point, they lost themselves. Yep. Hmm. That's a great point. Great point. That's it for today's podcast. Special thanks to Nathan Sheck, Seth Fontaine, and Mark Herleman for joining me today. What do you think? Let us know. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org. You can cut and paste that from the show notes. Also, check out Mark Herleman on the Star Wars Report. Be sure to do that. And be sure to check out Seth Fontaine's company, Urban Vinyl, and the premium headphones. Make sure to subscribe so that you do not miss part two of our conversation about Revenge of the Sith or any of our upcoming podcasts, including those in the Star Wars series. Go hit the subscribe button right now. And if you've got an extra minute while you're there, write us an iTunes review. That is it for today's show. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch all of you story geeks on the next podcast.